it's great to see you. I'm glad to be back. Last week, we got to take a little bit of time. My family and I, we went up to my wife's family stay in Oklahoma. My goodness, I don't even know where we went. We went to Oklahoma. I guess it's just that hard to say as a Texan, Oklahoma. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I love Oklahoma. I love my wife. Glad I live in Texas and born and bred Texan. So anyway, anyway, it is great to see you. Happy New Year. Holy cow. 2014, here we are. We're ready. Did you realize that um, on Back to the Future, the second movie, they went to the future. They went to 2015. And by 2015, Back to the Future, we're supposed to be having flying cars. So we've got to get on it, right? Isn't that wild? So here we are, 2014. It's great to be here. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going. Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to do a little demonstration. We're going to do some uh, drawing today. Last year, I gave a a message regarding a stool. Do you remember this? Uh, Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. So that's why I'm doing it again. They say you you don't remember half the messages I preach anyway, so you probably won't even remember this one, right? Just kidding. Here we go. So we got a stool. Now, how many of you have ever seen a five-legged stool? Anybody? All right, how about a six-legged stool? Anybody? That's called a bench, right? You've seen a bench with the six legs, but most of the time you see four-legged stools. Now, can you have less legs than four? You can. You can have a three-legged stool. How many of you have ever sat on a three-legged stool? Anybody? Were you milking a cow when you sat on a three-legged stool? Most of the first service actually were. That's why I asked that. So I wasn't being sarcastic. They were actually, the reason, just for fun, here's how my brain works. When I start studying, I find something, and then I have to study it out for a while. So I studied stools. Can you imagine this? Looked up stools, and why would you use a three-legged stool? You use three-legged stools when you milk cows. And when you have an uneven ground, a three-legged stool actually provides you more stability than four legs. Because four legs, you actually have to have a flat surface. But when you have three legs, there's all kinds of science. And I, wasn't, I was going to bore you with it because I found it fascinating, but I figured that's really not, it doesn't really apply to the Bible right now. So anyway, there's some science behind why a three-legged stool works. So it gives you more stability even on unlevel ground. And so today I'm going to use the three-legged stool as a visual for us to talk about our spiritual lives. Now, because we just started a new year, It is very typical to hear all kinds of advertisements that say that you need to lose X amount of pounds, right? It's weight loss, it's eating right, it's exercise. Maybe some of you have made New Year's resolutions. Let's just see. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. How many of you are tired of New Year's resolutions? And so you just say, forget it, I'm not doing it. Okay, very good. A lot of you said, no no more, I've done that and it hasn't worked. So here's what we're gonna do. In the light of adding a to-do list for the new year. I'm going to go ahead and give you a to-do list for this year as well, all right? This is a spiritual life. Matthew chapter 22 gives us a fantastic passage. Many of us know this. You've heard it preached over and over again. Let me just warn you right now. You ready? More than likely, I am not going to say anything profound today. You heard me. Doesn't mean I didn't study But more than likely, I'm not going to say anything that's profound. Everything that I'm about to tell you, everything that we're about to look at, you've heard before. You know you probably should be doing it. But most, more than likely, what you're going to find is this. There's going to be a few areas that you're going to say, ah, I probably could improve on that. It's just like a diet. Most of us know that we should eat better, but we choose not to, not because we don't know better, but just because we like Hamburgers better, bacon better, right? That's why we choose those things. We want to eat what we want to eat. 
So here's what I'm going to do. You're going to know most of these things. So here's what I would like for you to do. Not fall asleep, please. But here's what I want you to just step back and say, God, what do I need to work on for 2014? Where do I need to grow in 2014? Matthew chapter 22, here's what has happened. A group of lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, have been interacting with Jesus. They've been talking. And a lawyer in the, in the Bible at this point is not a lawyer as in today, but a lawyer who has studied the Old Testament law. They knew the ins and outs of the Old Testament law. And because they knew the ins and outs of the Old Testament law, they were trying to capture Jesus and trying to trick Jesus to get him to say something wrong. So in trying to say something wrong, they come to Jesus and they ask a very important question. Jesus, out of all the Old Testament laws, not just one, two, three, not 10, not 20, out of the hundreds of Old Testament laws, what is the number one, what is the greatest law of the Old Testament? More than likely, you can already say it. So let's stand and let's read it. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to ask that you go on down through the passage. If you go all the way down to verse 34, we're going to pick up the story. Here's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is a great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. I am amazed at how great you are. The reminder through our worship time, through our singing time, through our just to see the, the demonstration of your creation, how enormous you can make stars and planets, and yet you still think of us, and you give us this opportunity to celebrate you, and we want to say thank you. I pray now that as we go into this moment, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear. I pray your Holy Spirit would have its freedom and power to work in this moment. God, show us what we need to hear. Give us the courage to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a different people because we've heard from God. I pray all these things in Jesus' precious, precious name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So we're going to begin to change the screens here. And I am going to draw. I'm so excited. I love drawing. I like drawing, but I'm not very good at it. So I'm sorry for the pain you're about to endure. Is that fair? Matter of fact, I have uh, my, uh, my third daughter. She, she had her birthday yesterday, and, and uh, she loves to draw. She loves art, and so we're always, she's always playing with things and, and always drawing, and, and, and it's a lot of fun. She asked me when she was little, she asked me, Daddy, can you draw me a cow? So I drew her a cow the best I could. I mean, I've, I spent some time, I drew her a cow, and I handed it to her, and she said, Daddy, I asked for a cow, not a monkey. So I'm going to tell you what I'm drawing, all right? I'm drawing a stool, a chair. That's what I'm drawing. So if it doesn't look like a chair, it doesn't look like a stool, uh, just bear with me. Forgive me, all right? So here's what we're going to have. We, we just read the passage, and the passage said this, that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our passion. Now, let's see if this works. 
Is it working? Man, I love it when technology works. Okay, so you are to love God with your passion, your soul, your talent, your energy, your intellect, everything that you have, every ability you have, your youth, your, your experience, everything that you have, you are to love God. That is the first challenge. That's your first goal, to love God. And then he said that the second commandment is to what? Help me out. Love your neighbor. All right, so here we go. I'm going to draw. This is the seat, just in case you don't know or you can't tell. Love people. So the goal is to do this, to love God first, and then you are to love people. That is how we're supposed to live. That is how we're supposed to go. And it sums up everything in the Old Testament. It sums up everything in the New Testament. That's the goal. So the question becomes this. How do you and how do I actually put into practice loving God and loving people? Well, there's at least three legs that begin, three pegs that begin to actually hold up this idea of loving God. So I'm going to draw the back here and I'm going to draw the pegs that hold it up. Now, these pegs are pretty simple. The first peg is this. It happens in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, here's the story. You have Jesus who goes up on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's, he's transformed. He has a couple of the disciples with him. And as they're up on the mountain, they have this God experience where they hear from God. They see um, a couple of the Old Testament prophets. And then after that, they come down off the mountain. And as they're coming down off the mountain, they, they encounter a large group of people who have been interacting with the disciples. And in particular, there's a, there's a father. And this father, his son is demon-possessed. And he comes to the disciples. And as he comes to the disciples, he begs the disciples, help my son, heal my son, do something for my son. So the disciples begin to pray, and nothing happens. Or they begin to try to cast out the demon, and nothing happens. And so Jesus comes down, and when Jesus comes down off the mountain of transfiguration, the father comes running to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I've asked the disciples, I've asked your disciples to help me, to help my son, but they couldn't do it. Jesus, can you help my son? That's a great question, isn't it? Jesus, can you help my son? So Jesus comes, and he, he casts out the demon, and the boy is healed, and the boy is fine. So now the disciples leave, and they walk with Jesus, and they go into a house, and as they go into the house, they ask Jesus this question, Jesus, we're your disciples, come on. Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter 9, and verse, I think it's 23, 24. He responds in this way. This can only happen through what? Do you remember? Prayer and fasting. This can only happen through prayer and fasting. So here's your first peg. Prayer and fasting. Now, this is extremely important. Because in 2014, more than likely, more than likely, if you're here at church and you're celebrating God with us today, more than likely you're saying, hey, I want to be a man or a woman that God's power is on. I want to be a man or woman of God. I want to be a, a person who actually God is working through. And here's what I want to show you. If you're really going to love God in 2014, it must start with prayer and fasting. You will never find, listen to me, you will never find a man or a woman of God who God is using, who his power is on, except that they are actually a man or woman of prayer. Rewind, did you catch that? 
You can talk about being a godly man. You can talk about being a godly woman. You can talk about having God's power on your life all you want. But until you begin the practice of prayer and fasting, it won't ever happen. Well, Heath, you just don't understand. I'm busy. I know. I know it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard having a job. It's hard having kids in school. It's hard having kids that you just wake up in the middle of the night. It's hard going to school. It's hard having all your homework. I understand. It's hard. Your life is busy. Bill Hybels wrote a book that impacted me several years ago, and the title of the book is very simple. It says, Too Busy Not to Pray. I love that. Because no matter how busy you are, you're never too busy to not pray. So here's the challenge. What would it look like if you added five minutes of prayer? What, if it, what would it look like if you just said, this year, I'm gonna at least pray more than meal times, more than at your meal time. What if you actually said, this year, I'm actually gonna make prayer a staple in my life? It's gonna happen. Maybe for some of you, maybe it's the time to say, this is the year that I'm gonna learn to pray, ready for this, for 30 minutes. Maybe some of you have never even conquered the hour. You've never tried the hour, an hour of prayer. To actually know what it means to have your heart so in tune with God where you're able to stay up in the middle of the night and you can go through the middle of the night and you pray. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual. It just means that you're asking God and you're begging God to move and work. These things can't happen unless, but through prayer and fasting is what Jesus says. Let me give you another one. The next peg, if you want to love God and you're saying, 2014, I want to love God more with my heart, my soul, my passion. You ready? The next one is pretty simple. Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. The Bible. Psalm 119, 110 says what? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. You want to know God's will for your life? You want to see God show up and you want to hear God's voice? You will never hear God's voice until you get into the word of God. You want your faith to grow in 2014? Listen, you ready? It will not ever grow until you're in the word of God. Whether it's reading, maybe it's studying but it has to happen through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, Heath, I just, I struggle reading the Bible. It's hard. I love the King James. Love the King James version. I love the articulation and it's so poetic in reading the old English. But let's be real honest. It's hard. It's difficult. It's okay if you choose a different version to read. My goal in this is to encourage you, get something and read it. The ESV is what I used to preach out of. Why? Because I like the accuracy and I enjoy how, how easy it is to read. I think it flows pretty well. Maybe for some of you are saying, Heath, that's still, still pretty hard. The NIV has been a long-tested translation. Read it. What about the New Living Translation? Please get something. I like the New Living Translation. Very easy to read. If I'm going to sit down and do a quick read through the New Testament or a quick read through the Old Testament, man, the New Living Translation, you can pick it up and you can read just like a novel. I've even given it to my kids as they were reading because I encourage my kids who are in first grade, second or third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, I encourage my elementary kids to be reading the Bible on their own. And I want them to have a translation they can do. You will not find 
a man or woman who loves God, who is not in the word of God. You want your faith to grow? It starts there. Now, let me give you another one. You ready? This one's going to probably knock your socks off. If you really want to love God, and in 2014, you're saying, I want to go to that next level. I want to love God. You ready? The next one is giving. Oh, it got quiet. It's so hard. Oh, man, it's tough. Matthew 6 tells us this, guys, that you can't love two things at once. Either you will serve one master and hate the other, or you'll hate one master and love the other. But you can't love two masters at the same time. In fact, he goes even further. He says you either love God or you love things, but you can't love things and God at the same time. Here's what giving does for us. When you begin to give, it begins to tear apart and tear away our greed and our lust for things, our dependence on money, our dependence on power that we get from the money that we have. It begins to tear it away, and it begins to break the consumerism in our life. We like things, and being an American, we like to buy more things. We want, we want, we want, we desire, we desire, we desire. And when we give, here's what it begins to do. In Matthew 6, it tells us something amazing. That where our treasure is, where our money is, that's where our heart is. And when you begin to give, all of a sudden your heart begins to follow wherever your money goes. So when you begin to give to God, here's what happens. You begin to move God into the first priority of your life. For some, this is going to be a huge deal to make a step to actually move to 10% giving. Ah, you're falling out of your seats. You're going, man, that's too tough. But what happens is when you rearrange and you reorganize your finances and you put God first, it is amazing the blessings that begin to fall out because you put God first and God says, you love me, you're honoring me, I will do amazing things in your life. If you need to get your finances figured out, we'll be offering financial peace again this year. It's a fantastic way to put God first and learn how to organize your finances to get it right. Maybe for some, 10% is no big deal. Maybe this year what God is wanting to work in your life is to move you to 15, 20, 30, maybe even 40 or 50%. Where you're saying, God, I'm giving it away. I don't need the stuff that I have. I want to bless and I want to expand God's kingdom. Now, that's just the top. Are you hanging with me so far? Now, let's move to the bottom. Here's the bottom. That begins to move you towards loving God. Now we need to move towards loving people. How do we love people? Let me give you the next three legs. These legs are pretty interesting because it allows us to kind of see what happens and how the church plays out. So the first leg here on loving people, it starts with gatherings. Hebrews 11 says this. Hebrews 11 and verse 22, 23 24 and 25, 24, 25, actually, it's 24 and 25. It says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because what we need in verse 24 is that we need to stir each other up and aggravate each other to good works. So here's the the biblical exhortation. You and I need, in order to learn how to love people, we need to gather together as believers, ready? Watch this, so that we can aggravate each other. Some of us are really good at aggravating each other, right? Right? But we're to aggravate each other to good works. And we're to to spur each other on to say, you can do more for God. You can do this. It does my heart good when I come in with other believers, whether it's here 
whether it was in Oklahoma, wherever it is where you gather with other believers and all of a sudden you begin to celebrate how great and how awesome our God is. You look across the room and now you see, wow, there's other people doing the same thing I'm doing who love God, who are going after, and it begins to encourage you. And it begins to stretch you. And here's what it also does. When you actually have to gather with other people, you really learn how to love them. Why? You look across the room. There could be somebody that you've been on a committee with. There could be somebody that you've been in a meeting with. There could be somebody that you've been mad at for a long time. And when you gather in a place to worship, you're pricked in your soul to know, I have to forgive. I can't let bitterness in my heart. I have to move forward. And so you begin to push yourself to say, I've got to learn how to love and forgive and love people. And it pushes you when you gather. Isn't that amazing? It's so designed so that you learn how to love people by gathering. Let me show you another one. Here's your next one. Actually, before I do this, I had somebody send this to me, and I found this very interesting. This was a letter from a church member to the pastor. And I think it's more of a mock letter, but I just want to read it to you because I found it intriguing and funny. Um, It was talking about the importance of church attendance, all right? So here's what it says. Dear pastor, you often stress attendance at worship as being very important for a Christian. But I think a person has a right to miss now and then. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons, and the numbers of those times are indicated. So for the Christmas holidays, the Sunday before and after, that's two Sundays. New Year's, the party just lasted a little too long, so you need at least one Sunday off. Easter, we have to get away for the holidays, so there's at least one or two Sundays. July 4th, because it's a national holiday, we need at least one Sunday off for July 4th. And Labor Day, just because we're so tired from working, we need at least one day off from that. Memorial Day, we need to go visit our home folk, so we need at least one day off for Memorial Day. When the school gets out in May, the kids need a break from church and everything, so we just need to slow down, so we need at least two two Sundays off for that. When school reopens in September, we need to... One last fling before the kids go back to school, so we need at least one Sunday off for that. We have at least one family reunion for me and one family reunion for my wife, so that's two Sundays. And there's going to be the occasional sleeping in because we just work so hard. So that's at least three more Sundays. Deaths in the family this year, that's two more Sundays. Anniversary, we need our second honeymoon, so there's another Sunday Sickness, at least one sickness per family. So that's five Sundays this year. A business trip, you know it's a must. I have to work. That's one more Sunday. (laughs) Bad weather, ice, snow, rain, and clouds. That's another two Sundays. Ball games, our kids are involved in ball games, and so we must be gone to be a part of that or the kids aren't playing on the team. So that's another three Sundays. Unexpected company. We can't walk on our, out on our company, so that's two more Sundays. Time change. You know it's extremely hard to get up on time change Sundays, so that's one in the spring and one in the fall. You know, there's some special Sundays on t- uh, TV uh, shows on, on uh, like the Super Bowl and some other things, so that's at least two Sundays for TV. Pastor, after all of this, I have figured up that there's at least two Sundays per year that you can count on us to be there. That is the fourth Sunday in February and the third Sunday in August, unless we are providentially hindered. Sincerely, a faithful church member. (laughs) Is that fair? 
I want to encourage you for your spiritual life, for my spiritual life. Showing up and gathering with other believers is, is a necessity. Now, let me give you another leg here. The next one, gathering. We back up. Perfect. Community groups. Whoops. Community groups. Small groups. Sunday school. Home groups. Whatever you want to call it. You and I need the community groups. You and I need smaller groups. If you just show up to church, if you just show up, you're going to be encouraged, you'll be blessed, but here's what's going to happen. Nobody's going to really know who you are. You're not going to have life on life. And the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. You were meant and created for community. You were meant as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are in a holy community. You have been meant and designed to be involved with other people where you actually have the spurring one another on to good works. I read through the New Testament and going through the New Testament, I did a quick search on the one another passages in scripture. Have you ever looked at the one another passages? There's so many. And this is, this is a challenge in the New Testament on how believers are to encourage and challenge. And here's what it says. Love one another, live in harmony with one another, care for one another, welcome one another, instruct one another, restore one another, comfort one another, live in peace with one another serve one another, bear one another's burdens, patiently bearing with one another, be kind one to another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, do good one to another, exhorting one another. Are you getting the picture? If you just show up to church, it doesn't happen. The only way is to actually get into a smaller group of some sort. Now we're about to start up our smaller groups and that will be in a couple weeks. And we'll be advertising some home groups again. We'll be advertising our Sunday school classes. We'll be advertising the weekly Bible studies, celebrate recoveries consistently going. There's all kinds of different groups to get you encouraged, to move you forward. And the question becomes, where and how are you going to get involved and to allow other Christians to get into your life and you to get into their lives? We have a great group here at our church, men and women who love people. Our deacons, they love people. They go to hospitals, they want to serve. Our Sunday school teachers, our home group leaders, they love people. Our Bible study leaders, they love people. They want to be involved in life. And let's be, let me help you out, you ready? Let me shoot you extremely straight. If you never get into one of these smaller groups, and in 2014, something bad happens in your life, whether you just lose a job, maybe there's something happening, you're going to be upset because the church doesn't minister to you in the way that you want them to. But you put us at a very big disadvantage. We want to serve you. We want to be a part of your life. But if we don't know you, we can't do that. So when you choose to get involved, here's what happens. You open yourself up to all that the church has, the love, the care, the compassion, the things that you're expecting the church to do to rally behind you when there's things that happen in your life or in your marriage. When you get involved into a smaller group, you now begin to experience the life on life. You see, you only get out of church what you put into church. That was a great quote. Write it down. You only get out of church what you put into church. And it's important for you to understand, we want to care for you, but we have to move into the smaller group. Here's also smaller groups. James tells us something very unique. James chapter 5 talks to us about how that we as believers are to confess our faults one to another. You remember this? 
We are to confess our faults one to another. And when we do, then we find healing. And here's what I want to encourage you. There are some Christians who have lived in their besetting sin, their sin that has kept, kept them falling over and over again. And they keep saying, I just can't break it. I just can't do it. And here's, it's a slap in the face to Jesus Christ and the cross and what he did. Because on the cross, he sets you free from sin. You are not designed to stay in habitual sin. You are designed to be free. And the truth will set you free. And what you need is this. When you confess and you invite others into your life, you allow yourself to actually have the the redemption, the gospel power involved in your life. And now they're challenging you and helping you break free. Wouldn't that be fantastic for you to enjoy 2014, a year that you became free from the sin that's been keeping you down for so long? Man, wouldn't that be exciting? James also tells us that we are to have our faith put into action. James chapter two, that if your faith does not have works, then it's vain, it's worthless. In a smaller group, here's what you're challenged to do. You're challenged to live out your faith, to share your faith with others. In a smaller group, they begin to challenge you to put your faith into action, where you begin to open up your life and you say, hey, my house is your house. Mikasa Sukasa, come on in. I give you refrigerator rights. You can have anything in the house, whatever's in my refrigerator. Come on in. Let's go life on life. And you invite people into your life. You can go in and get their chocolate milk and drink it all. My first year when I came over here and I was staying in people's houses, I would drink chocolate milk. I would drink their tea. I would drink their coffee. I would, whatever they had, I was just, man, they, several people just gave me refrigerator rights and it was just, oh, this is awesome. I just came on in, made their home my home. And it's fantastic to find a community in which you begin to love and enjoy each other. And it happens when you get into these smaller groups, these community groups. Now, let me give you the last leg. The last leg is something that talk, is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how that we are the body of Christ. And as a believer, you and I are designed to actually fit a role. You are a part of the body. And Paul uses this incredible analogy of the body. Some are the eyes, some are the elbows, some are the fingers, some are the, the nose, some are the eyes, some are the mouth, some are the, the feet, some are the toes, some are the legs. He says, every believer, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to have some ability to build up and help establish and to spread God's kingdom And you're called to go into service using those talents. And he says, this is your job. And then Paul makes this incredible analogy. He says, the least member, the the member that seems to be the smallest, that doesn't, is insignificant, doesn't matter much. God has given it greater glory and greater honor. Listen, you ready? So what he did was this. You think that little pinky toe is just nasty and ugly and has no purpose? When you walk through the house in the middle of the night and you stump it, that little toe is going to hurt and your whole body is going to go into a Pentecostal dance. You're going to dance. You're going to move. Your whole body is going to fill it because God made the smallest member to matter to the whole. And here's what he's challenging us and here's what he's moving us in. You ready? He's saying this, there's no insignificant job in God's kingdom. It all matters. 
So whether you hold a door open, whether you work in the children's church, maybe you're never on stage, it all matters. And he has given you and me a job. And as part of the kingdom of God, part of, we are the body of Christ and we're to be his hands and his feet and we're to be serving. Now, I played this all out. So we look at it and let's be real honest. It looks like a big to-do list, doesn't it? It looks like a big to-do list and we're going, man, I don't know if we really, you just kind of depressed me. There's a lot of things I'm supposed to be doing. You're right, that's a lot. Loving God, loving people, it's hard. It's harder than just saying it. It's easy to say. And here's what we began to do a year and a half ago as we started walking through what are the basics that we need to do. We began to say this. Okay, the loving God, here's what we can do. We can't do this for anybody. We can't pray for anybody. I can't, I can't read you the Bible. I can't make you get into a Bible study. I can't force you to give. But here's what I can do. We can challenge you. We can set up challenges to help you get into the word of God. Maybe you say, okay, I'm gonna read the Bible through this next year. We can challenge you. A four-month giving challenge. We can challenge you to do certain things, but we can't do this for you. And it's really hard to even measure how many people are actually doing these things. Because really, let's be honest, this is between you and God, that top part, right? It's between you and God. I can't measure it and I can't even see it. You can fool me all day long. I, I could fool you all day long. I can't measure it. But the bottom part, we can measure And we can begin to look at it and we said, okay, if these are the three main things that we know we need to be doing, then we begin to work through our staff and we begin to say, okay, everybody needs to be going to church. Now that sounds extremely simple, but here's what we found a year and a half ago as we started working through this. We had church members who've been members for 25, 30, 40 years, who've been serving either in children's ministry or serving in other places, and they haven't been in church in years and decades because they've been serving for so long we say, oh, there's a problem. Then we began to look at some staff. Some staff weren't even coming to church because they were serving and so busy. And then we moved over to the next group, and the next group was, okay, we need to be involved in some form of community group. We think that's important. We're teaching this. We're talking about it. And guess who wasn't in a community group? Yours truly. I wasn't in a community group. I sat back going, uh-oh. I was serving. I was going to lots of meetings. And let me help you out. You ready? meetings do not take the place of community group. Why? Because we're not studying the Bible. Did you? So I had to figure out how to rearrange my schedule. Serving. We looked at it and said, okay, where are we needing to serve? And I began to lay out even my life. And I said, where's the service areas, the things that I'm just gonna do that may be even outside of my gifting, but I'm just gonna serve just because I need to serve just because I need to learn how to love people. And I've rearranged, and I had to rearrange, and staff and the leadership and the people in the committees, we began to push this through and say, this is something important. If we're gonna teach it and talk about it, we gotta rearrange, we gotta start working through it. Now, there's one last element that I have to put in here because I, I wanna be extremely honest and authentic with you. You can take and you can go through all six of these things And you can change. And this next six months, this next year, you could say, hey, every week I did some praying. A couple times this year I fasted. A couple times I read my my Bible more than I've ever read. You could start going down the list. I'm now serving. You could read. You could just go all the way down. Listen. And at the end of the year, you can still miss it. And all you've done is activities. And you've not loved God more.
and you've not loved people better. So how do we change this? How do we make sure that this is not just a checklist? There's one simple word that we have to bring in. You ready? And it goes right in the middle. It's the gospel. When I begin to understand what Jesus did on the cross, and I begin to tie everything back to the gospel, here's what happens. When I read, I'm no longer reading the Bible just because it's a checklist. I now read the Bible. You ready for this? And I begin to read how God worked in history. I begin to read and see how God's redemptive plan was from the very beginning. I begin to tie it through all of Genesis. I begin to walk through, and I begin to see how God works and how big he is. And I begin to see how that God is just, and I see how God is faithful, and I see how God is loving, and I begin to tie that back into my life and how God is wanting to work in his redemptive plan. And I begin to see I need God because I'm so broken. The gospel begins to play it out, and I begin to see my need as I read the Bible, so it's no longer just a checklist. And I see in my life how I need to break the control of things or dependence on money. I need the gospel at work, and so now I begin to give. But I'm not giving just because I have to. I'm giving because I want to love God, and I want my heart to follow. And I'm saying, I need the gospel at work in my life to redeem this heart that continually wants to run from God. Are you seeing it? Why do I get into a a worship gathering? Why do I even need to come to church? You don't come to church just to say you checked it off. You come to church because you're wanting to celebrate what God has done in your life, to celebrate the gospel and how it's working now, to celebrate God and how great he is, and then now you leave to go out so you can share it to the world. And you walk through every area. It's the gospel that changes it. So it moves it from a checklist, a to-do list, and now into something that radically transforms your life. Here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for me. I want the gospel to be more real than ever before in 2014. I want at the end of 2014, I want you to say this is the year that has radically transformed my life because I learned how to love God better. I learned loving people better. It's easy to love people that you like. It's easy. It's easy to love people that you like. Matter of fact, sometimes it's hard to love people that you like too. Can I, I, my wife, she loves me, but there are times when I'm just a pill. There's times that I'm hard to love. I know it shocks you. But man, there's times, man, I, I can get so bullheaded and I'm hard. And you know what? The only thing that saves our marriage is because the gospel's at work in her life and the gospel's at work in my life and having to come back to it and saying, I need forgiveness. Even when I don't want to give forgiveness, that I need to give forgiveness to people even when I don't want to give it. And it makes me have to walk through and learn how to love people because of how God has loved me and I can forgive because I've been forgiven. It's the gospel at work over and over again. Do you see it? I'm trying to give you illustrations so that you have it in your mind because I want you to walk through this next year. And I know there's at least one of these areas that needs to be worked on in your life. There's one area that can be improved. Matter of fact, if you really work through it, you probably could think of two or three, right? And this year, the greatest commandment, loving God, loving people, let's go after it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the gospel offers to you forgiveness, 
And through the power of Jesus Christ on the cross, here's what it offers you, you ready? That you can be restored with the creator of the world where God becomes your heavenly father and now you can interact with him and you're restored because Jesus has redeemed you on the cross. If you have never trusted Jesus as your personal savior, today's the day. Let's start 2014 right. Ask him to be your leader, your savior. Let's do that today. If you have, let's ask God, let's start it off right. Musicians, you can become, begin coming up. Let's start it off right by saying, God, here's 2014. We give it to you. Help us to love you more and love people better.